This week on Daiwa, we're in Webster County. Two girls are abducted after walking home from school. Welcome to Daiwa, the first Iowa-focused true crime podcast, where there's 99 counties and a murder in every one. These are your hosts, Beth LaValle and Allie Tulin. Webster County this week. Tell me your experience with Webster <laughs> County. I think one experience I remember is going up to Fort Dodge. And my brother ran in like a high school cross country championship or whatever. Championship? Yeah. Did he win? He did not win, but he placed. And I don't remember what he placed, but it was good. I think their team won for their division. Wow. Yeah. Nice Have you ever done, done like a cross country meet? Like participated in one? No. Well, just like watched. Because even when you're a watcher, you're like running on the sidelines. <laughs> I feel like I maybe went to one. I don't remember that I ran. I probably <laughs> just stayed near the finish line. I don't know. It's a whole thing, but they're fun. I'll believe you. Is it like golf where you're just like following them? Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I'm very excited to share with you and the world that my dad and his family are from Webster County, so I've spent quite a bit of time there. He and his siblings grew up in Dayton, Iowa, which is a very small town in the middle of Iowa. So all my LaValleys out there, this episode is for you. (laughs) So again, Dayton is a small little town with just about 700 people. And one of my favorite stories from the community in Dayton is, and literally no one saw this except for me, but when I visited my grandfather growing up, there was a restaurant that was not open very often, or Casey's, and that was, or we had to like bring our own food and make lasagna when we were there. So we would often go up there and get Casey's pizza. And so I was going to pick up the pizza one time. And the Casey's employee, who was at the cash register, just randomly said, hey, you know Mariah Carey? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) And he was like, I was just in her new music video. Can you believe that? And I was Uh, like, (laughs) what? He was like, yeah, you know that new song, Obsessed? I'm like, I'm the guy in that video. And I was like 14 at the time and very naive. So I was like, whoa, that is so cool. So I went home and told my whole family that the guy at Casey's was in Mariah Carey's music video. And we watched the video, Obsessed, and it is just Mariah Carey in a man's costume. Oh. And he said that was him. Sad. It was really sad. My dreams were crushed. Anyways, that was my weird story about Dayton that I remember sometimes in the middle of the night. And uh, the most commonly known fun fact is probably that the Dayton Rodeo has been an annual event over Labor Day weekend since 1937. So a quick history of the rodeo. It began with three local cowboys, Alan Porter, Dwayne Veggers, and Vern Danielson. They were young and would entertain picnickers with rope tricks in the town park. And the audience grew, so the event kept growing too. And today the rodeo is still held in its own arena, and the prize, the grand prize, is up to $40,000. Whoa. I know. Have you ever been to a rodeo? I have not. Have you? Yeah, we went a couple times, probably. 
but it's kind of weird. It's kind of fun. You're like, why do you are think these you people have, doing this? Do you think you have a shot to win the 40K? Definitely not. <laughs> it's like scary out there, man. People get kicked off the cows and the bulls and the horses and basically any animal you can get kicked off. You see people just like flying everywhere. It's wild. So here's what actually happens at a rodeo. It's a professional event. So there's competitive events like bareback riding, steer wrestling, barrel racing, etc. It is packed with events throughout the whole weekend. There's also a bunch of entertainment like rodeo clowns and professional acts where people are doing acrobatic tricks on horses, for example. All right. Well, my fun fact is not quite as fun as that. But you said before that Dayton has always had a culture of being proud of its history and really documenting everything that happens. And I found something that aligns with that. So the Dayton riot happened on January 1st, 1894. It was New Year's Eve and everyone was partying at a local dance. However, just before dinner, a man was talking some trash about someone's hat and one of his friends tried to quiet him, but that was unsuccessful. So things escalate so much that it was said that chairs are flying along with fists and citizens called in the help of Marshall Larson and he tried to arrest the ringleader. However, at the end of the fight, Marshall Larson was shot in the right hip by a guy named Paris Winters, who had stolen Larson's gun from him. Marshall Larson passed away that night, and the whole gang went to trial for his murder in Fort Dodge. Oh my god, that is crazy. All over a hat. All Yeah, all over a hat. <laughs> So unlike that story, I guess, this episode is actually a pretty recent one. And once again, it was recommended by one of our listeners. So thank you always for submitting stories. So this story first began in 2013. To set the scene, here are some important events that happened in 2013. The Boston Marathon bombings happened on April 15th that year. Lance Armstrong admitted to doping during all of his Tour de France wins. President Obama is president once again. The Harlem Shake and What Does the Fox Say were the trending videos at the time, if you remember. Such a great one. (laughs) Yes. And it's possible that our victim today was maybe participating in those viral videos. She was just 15 years old. On May 21st, 2013, it was first reported that Kathleen Shepard was missing. According to the Des Moines Register, around 4 p.m., two girls got off the school bus and got into a stranger's pickup truck near the bus stop after he offered them a ride. However, instead of dropping them off at home, they were taken to a rural agricultural facility southeast of Dayton at 4.30 p.m. The girl that was with Kathleen, Desi Hughes, escaped and found help at a nearby house. She was taken to the hospital and then released after examination. She told officials what happened and described the car. The community gathered together to look for Kathleen. 200 officers and volunteers searched rural areas in Webster, Boone, and Hamilton counties to look for her. Just the next day, it was reported that the kidnapping suspect, Michael Clunder, was found dead. The cause of death was suicide. He was 42 years old. Clunder was also a registered sex offender and had been convicted of kidnapping and assault in the past. So Clunder had a pretty gruesome past. In 1986, 15-year-old Ev Leisure-Ganson was delivering newspapers when she turned around and Clunder was pointing a gun at her. He forced her to come with her and take her clothes off. They actually knew each other from school. When she refused, he banged her head against the wall until she lost consciousness. When she woke up again, begging him to stop, he beat her again. 
The next time she woke up, he was gone, and she dragged herself to go get help. At that point, Clender was taken into custody by juvenile authorities and eventually found guilty of a delinquent act. He was sent to the Boys State Training School, then Meyer Hall, then Bremwood Juvenile Home, then the Mental Health Center. He got out, then was immediately sent back for choking a woman. He was in the juvenile system until he was 18 and then sentenced five years for a burglary charge. In 1992, he was convicted of third-degree kidnapping and assault after abducting and assaulting Lori Lee Smith, who was 21 years old. During this kidnapping, he flashed his headlights behind her, so they pulled over to the side of the highway. He told her her headlights weren't working, and when she got out to check them, he told her he had a knife and pulled her into his car. Smith said she was saved when a truck turned around to help. He was sentenced to 11 years in prison. Clender was also convicted of two counts of kidnapping and one count of willful injury in 1991. He kidnapped two three-year-old girls, Brittany Coster and Trisha Schmidt, as they played outside their babysitter's apartment in Charles City. The girls were found several hours later in a dumpster about 50 miles away. One of the girls had signs of strangulation on her neck and a cut on her hand, but the other child was unharmed. Clender was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Even Cerro Gordo County Sheriff Kevin Powell's called Clender, quote, a creep, according to the Muscatine Journal. A spokesman from the Department of Corrections said that Clunder successfully completed a sex offender treatment program and did not show any signs that there could potentially be further problems, according to the Sioux City Journal. All in all, there was never more than a year in between Clunder's attacks. The sentences from those cases were run consecutively, and Clunder started work release in 2010 and was discharged February 25, 2011, serving about 19 years total. He was required to periodically check in with authorities as a registered sex offender, but because he was never convicted of sexually abusing a minor and was considered a second-tier offender, he did not face any restrictions on where he could live and faced less frequent monitoring. According to the Des Moines Register, as of 2005, misdemeanors and felonies can be sentenced to a special parole, which can last 10 years or a lifetime in the case of felony offenses. Many of the offenders are required to wear an electronic monitor during the parole period. Again, according to the Des Moines Register, First Assistant Lynn County Attorney Nick Maybanks said the special sentence is an effective tool because it provides an additional way to monitor sex offenders in the community. Back to Kathleen. She still hadn't been found two days later when the Dayton community held a candlelit vigil at their local church. Her backpack and purse were found discarded in a ditch in a rural area about 15 miles south of a hog confinement where she was taken. The community searched high and low for her, trudging through woods and high grass to continue looking. According to the Des Moines Register, 134 volunteers sprayed mosquito repellent on each other before going out to search in the rain. The heavy rains continued for a week when authorities decided to halt the search. At that point, they had searched more than 250 square miles in the Dayton area. Finally, on June 8, 2013, 18 days after Kathleen had gone missing, a body was found in the Des Moines River near Boone that police suspected was Kathleen's body. They found that the cause of death was, quote, multiple sharp and blunt force injuries and will be certified as a homicide, according to the Des Moines Register. Most of the injuries were to the head. Dave Kramer, a citizen of Dayton, said at the time, quote, I think everyone is just pretty well stunned. I went into the coffee shop at 6.30 this morning and everyone was just kind of quiet. No one knows what to say. It was widely commented that stories like this don't happen in a small town like Dayton, 
and that the sense of security they had prior to this incident was gone. Some said throughout the search for her, Kathleen had become, quote, a daughter of Dayton. There was another public memorial service held for her on June 13, 2013. About 750 people attended, and many wore purple, Kathleen's favorite color. Adrian Peterson of the Vikings sent a signed jersey in her honor. So a couple changes have been enacted since Kathleen's disappearance. One is that Iowa's state policy on Amber Alerts changed so that authorities need only a description of the child, the child's abductor, or the abductor's vehicle. Before the change, the policy read that authorities needed a description of the child, the child's abductor, and or the abductor's vehicle, leading some to believe they needed both a description of the child and the suspect or suspect's vehicle to issue an alert. Another change is that legislators in Iowa toughened the penalties for kidnapping a minor. It is now a forcible Class B felony, punishable by up to 25 years in prison to kidnap someone 17 years or younger. This was a tough one to research, but I'm glad positive changes have happened because of it. So let's see what Taps thinks about these. Hi, Taps. Hello. We are in Webster County this week. Uh, Have you been to Webster County? Many, 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 many times. Anything fun? It is the home of the Iowa State Cross Country Championships at the Fort Dodge Golf Course just north of Fort Dodge. I think we talked about that earlier. Did we? <laughs> not, you, not with you. Oh. Have you ever ran in a cross country? Well, I mean, yes, in the military, but it wasn't a cross country. It was, you will all go out and run together. Do you enjoy cross country meets though? And do you run when you watch them? I do but I am not as mobile as my significant other who runs like a crazy woman. Nice. All right. Well, to get into the case, this is a pretty classic story of don't talk to strangers. Any other advice for kids or parents with young kids out there? This case was very, very famous in Iowa just because of the tragic circumstances. And then the parents uh, went on to lobby the Iowa legislature for a law called Kathleen's Law, based on a California law that was kind of a one strike for sex offenders. I don't believe the law was ever passed in Iowa, but I'm not sure about that. What did you tell your kids about stranger danger when you were raising them? Oh, I think my kids were probably hyper alert to people that were acting different or funny just because of my occupation because I called people out pretty readily when I saw them saying, those are the kind of people you shouldn't be around. Oh, interesting. So you just like pointed out, stay away from those guys. Right. And I, you know, kind of like spidey sense, we would be in places that I didn't like the surroundings or circumstances. And I would voice my concern very readily. Are you comparing yourself to a superhero? (laughs) I think that's what we just got. (laughs) Maybe. We have it recorded. Sorry to stay on this topic for too long, but the common thing is like you, you know, the guy in the van offers the kids candy. Is there like a 2023 version of offering kids candy out of a van? I've heard about 18 different variations. Your mom sent me to come pick you up. There's a bad wreck down the street. I can give you a ride around it so you don't, you're not around. 
I mean, these freaking yahoos will use any kind of lure to get somebody into the car or whatever. It's just sad. Would you say there's such thing as serial kidnapping? So if they kidnap a kid once, they're likely to do it again? Well, in most of these cases, they're serial murderers because the kids don't walk away from it. And unfortunately, if you don't grab the kid within the first couple hours, probably pretty bad. Is there any other motive other than sexual assault for someone like Clunder to do this? Um, I mean, there are cases of kidnapping kids for ransom and things like that. But most, I would say the great majority of these cases are sex assault against kids. There was a 2006 study that indicated that of abducted children who are killed, 76.2% are slain within three hours of abduction. Do you think that's still true? I think that's very true. We were always taught that you got to get on these cases within minutes because these kids don't have a lot of time. Again, it just shows you the desperation of the people that are kidnapping them. Okay, so Clunder was never on the sex offender registry. So how does someone end up on that registry? The statute in Iowa, and I'm sure the other states, very clearly lists the mandatory offenses that you have to be listed on the registry. In Iowa, we have different levels of people on the registry, depending on their crimes. And if you go to your local sheriff's office, especially in a bigger county, these guys are pulling into the sheriff's office all day long because they have to register, they have to check in, they have to come in anytime they change where they live, what kind of jobs they have, social media profiles. They are an interesting bunch. I get to listen to a lot of these guys on their interviews with detectives. Some of them, when they walk in, you just stereotypically look at them and say, yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, you get some that are really different and really bizarre. I mean, we had in the last couple of weeks, we had a physician come in that's on the registry. Obviously, he's not a physician anymore. What would, would you say there's like a common behavior with all of like, I don't know. Does no, I don't think so. Mother connections, yeah. something like that. I mean, they've done studies and stuff to try to figure out some of these guys. I don't know. I think it's they're, they're kind of all over the map. And then they, my other question here is, do you feel like some of the things that flag you as a sex offender are like out of date? Like I'm thinking of guys getting caught peeing in public. Doesn't that still like put you on the list? Not necessarily. No. Okay. Um, Did it used to though? Well, when the, when it first came out, it was kind of bizarre and they were still trying to figure it out, but I think they've got it down to a science pretty much now, as far as the people they place in the registry and stuff. Some people are lifetime registers. They never get off the list and deservedly. So in some cases, I mean, they, they are perpetrators and they continue to try to perpetrate. Oh, gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, they do. Are other people monitored like those who are on the sex offender registry? No, probably not. Unless they come on the registry, they're probably not on the radar. And that's probably the most dangerous types of these people are the ones that have not offended yet or have not been caught offending. The internet traps that law enforcement are doing now where they're posing as young girls or boys on the internet, things like that, are exposing some of these people. But in many cases, 
the most dangerous type of offender is the one that's just not identified because you don't know where they're going to where they're going to offend. And there's a lot of little gateway small sex crimes that start pointing a person or pointing you to a person that might be involved in more serious crimes later. So like exposures, um, a lot of people don't take exposure crimes very seriously, guy in a mall or in a car or whatever. But there's been some studies that show some of those guys, that's just an entry sex crime for them as they kind of climb up the ladder to more serious stuff. There's a guy doing that in a park outside my neighborhood. So maybe well, you got to you got to differentiate between the ones that are doing it for sexual gratification and just some kind of psychotic guy or homeless guy that just might have just peed over on the tree and walking away or whatever. Is the reason that sex offenders are monitored longer because they're statistically at a higher risk to reoffend? Yes. Yes, the uh, recidivism rate on sex offenders is is very high. Even in Iowa, once a person comes out of prison or for a sex offense crime, there is a shot that they can civilly commit them as a serial sex offender and place them in one of the state mental health institutes. And they could actually serve as much of a sentence, that, that, and it's not a sentence, but a middle in one of those places after they've been freed from prison. Yeah, I was just going to ask, like, is it ever treated like an addiction? And it sounds like it maybe is. It's treated as a mental health illness. Yeah. Um, in Iowa, most of those people go to Cherokee, which is up in the northwest part of the state. There's a mental health institute up there. And my understanding is there are some people up there that will spend the rest of their life in that place. Um, random question for you. How do police officers keep up with changing laws? Do you have to go to trainings or like? In, in a lot of cases, most departments will do some kind of annual criminal law update or criminal law review. Most of the state law enforcement academies keep up with legislation changes and push it out to all the other agencies. So there's usually a pretty good pipeline. Uh, usually your prosecutor's office, whether it a county attorney or district attorney, if they come upon some new uh, criminal change, they will shoot it towards you. So there's a pretty good pipeline to keep track. That's good to know. Any final thoughts on this case? No, again, this case made a lot of news. It was very famous at the time. They found her body several days after he committed suicide and the other girl was released for the day of the crime. And so there was a search for the body for the girl for a long time. And again, with the parents kept it in the news for some time as they were trying to get some code changes in the state. So uh, most people that lived in Iowa during that time are aware of the case. Just senseless tragedy. For sure. Well, thanks for joining. We'll talk to you next time. Good night. Oh, hello there. As a marketer, I hate promotions like this. Same and same. But I love content. Me too. So if you like our content, give us a like, follow, share, subscribe, note, fax, literally anything you think would help us continue making Daiwa a success. Thank you, thank you, thank you.